This is, this is the In the Black Podcast. In the Black, bro. You know, one of the hardest parts about being on quarantine in this damn, this damn city, this damn state is being a sneakerhead because you're buying all this damn heat and you don't got nowhere to go stunt. You know what I mean? I can only, <laughs> I can only, I can only stunt on my wife for so long with all these things. <laughs> I'm talking about first world problems. After while, she ain't looking at all. I know, <laughs> it's like, it's, You see this fire? You see this fire right here? She's like... Man. <laughs> First like, world. After all, after all, she wearing it at random and whatnot. No bullshit. No bullshit. But you know what's really funny, man? Unfortunately, I uh, was. We were hit up earlier uh, today by one of our uh, listeners, and I got an article about a pastor, a uh, female pastor, um, that said that she, uh, God spoke to her and told her that she has an anointed vagina. And she's a that, hoe and she knows she's a hoe she's that a she hoe. has an anointed she's vagina and that the good lord told her to tell the men in her congregation that if they have fertility problems that they would need to come and sleep with her and her anointed vagina would heal them of their infertility so you guys are welcome i got her uh did some research and uh Send you her, uh, send you her information just in case if that's uh, yeah <clears throat> something that you guys are interested in. Um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna take, I, I, I'm gonna take the sympathetic stance and yeah, sympathy, bro. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna be like, look, clearly this woman is having some kind of emotional breakdown in her life. You know what I'm saying? To, 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 to say things like this in public. Is that what you know we what call it? <laughs> I would say it's an emotional or mental breakdown of some kind. You know what I'm saying? For her to say this out in public. You know, knowing full well that, you know, any woman of Caribbean descent would probably rip every hair out of her head uh, uh, for, saying such, for saying such things. She, she's um, African, so I don't think she's really scared of Caribbean women. But oh, oh uh, no, 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 no. She, no, she's scared. She, oh, she's definitely scared of Caribbean women. She's definitely no, she's, she's African, like in Africa, African. So she, I think she's, I think she's. Oh, so, uh, so she, you need to speak on this shit then. No, his wife listens, bro. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. One of you no, understands that my plight. Should be quiet. No, 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 I'm mean, glad one of you so understands no, my plight. So, so this comes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you, hold on. What do you mean that this comes from somewhere? What are you talking oh, about? Shit, <laughs> you, you see, you see the sneaky ass. You see the sneaky ass. <laughs> The I ain't got no bail money for none of y'all. I know, right? And I was so tempted to put sexual healing underneath this conversation. Yo, but I wasn't, I wasn't wait, so wait, 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 Is there more to this story? I mean, what was No. Listen, that's founder it. of the Life and Faith and Prosperity Ministry. I'm not going to tell you where she's at because uh, no, no, I, I don't want to know. 
Nah, okay. Veronica has said that God gave her an anointed vagina as a solution to men who have infertility problems. The clergywoman made the claims while delivering a sermon during the church service. According to her, any man who sleeps with her will be healed of his infertility problems. <sighs> she added that her mission on earth is to cure fertility problems in men, which happens anytime her body fluid touches a man's penis. <laughs> So, how did the congregation respond to this? They lined up, bro. <laughs> what you mean? Well, how they respond? Uh, it took no, a number. It, it took a number. They had a raffle. This, this happens at men's ministry, bro. And you know what? She and she don't look bad, man. She, she don't look bad. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that part out, and you know, for my wife. <laughs> Sean says she doesn't look bad. Hey, 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 hey. I just said I'm going to cut it out. Don't be I mean, out. That's I, why I, I said it again. So you have a hard time. I just wonder what happened next. <laughs> you motherfucker. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? What's up? What is up? Back once again, it is the Incredible in the Black podcast. And in case you weren't aware, this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who make it do what it do. I am your host, Big O, Mr. In the Black himself, but you know I can't do this alone. Let me introduce the rest of the Backstreet Boys. Crush, what's up? <laughs> uh, what's good, everybody? I'd rather be 98 degrees, man. <laughs> They got, they, got, they got a little more soul up in there, man. Damn. We could have been so I mean, Lil Uzi Vert sampled them niggas. Damn, we could have been 112. We could have been Jodeci. Listen, either one, anything that I picked, I know you was going to give me a hard time. So I said, let me have fun I mean, with you could, the You could have went Motown, man. You could have went Motown. Say what's up to the people, man. What's good, everybody? How y'all feeling? I hope y'all staying, staying clean. <laughs> say, say what's up, L. Hey, man. Yeah, y'all see the shit we deal with. <laughs> Anyway, and later on in the show, we'll, we'll be joined by life coach and author of Good White Racist, Carrie Connolly. Uh, we're going to talk to her about her recent book, and she's going to try and explain to us exactly what a good white racist is. But before all of that, Boogie, tell these folks where, how they can join the family, man. Hey, man, you can go to our website, intheblackpodcast.com. And in the right-hand corner is a Become a Member of the Family tab. Click that, and please, sincerely, donate to what we're trying to build. Man, we are excited about new opportunities. We got new shows lining up. Uh, we have a lot of new shit happening. Uh, and just for the people who may be tuning in to hear Carrie Connolly, uh, yeah, we do cuss a lot on this motherfucker. So, uh, just, just, just be ready, you know. Uh, Shit happens. <laughs> anyway, and a quick shout out to our partners for today's show. This episode of the In the Black Podcast is brought to you by podfaves.com. Do you love podcasts but find it hard to find your next bingeable show? Podfaves has taken out all the guesswork by easily identifying the best podcasts out there so you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's podfaves.com. That's P-O-D-F-A-V-S.com. Now we're going to jump into our black box letter, which isn't really a letter today. It's a black box message, if you want to call it that. This week's message comes from one of our Facebook uh, members. His name is Trent. And Trent says, what's up, fellas? Are you guys mentally, physically, and financially prepared for the possibility of 45 getting reelected? If so, have how are you preparing? So who wants to go ahead and get started? Because I mean, I've... I saw the message the other day and it, 
it made me step back and look, but who wants to go ahead and start it off? Uh, I'll start off. Uh, I need more money and I need more guns. Uh, <laughs> and just to be clear, when he says 45, he's talking about the orange dude that's in the office right now. Uh, but yeah, I need more money and I need more guns uh, to be better ready than I already am. Uh, and I know it sounds like I'm being facetious, but I actually do believe and feel like I need more money and need more guns, uh, particularly in the age that we're living in and the way things are moving. Uh, both of those things would be essential to pr protecting and providing for my family. Uh, and yeah, that's where I'm at, man. No doubt. Crush. Yeah, I would say uh, in that regard, I would need less debt and more investments, um, you know, for from a particular circumstance, if I were to try to endure, if I if we have to endure another term under this particular individual, um, outside of that, um, uh, yeah, for the most part, I would say that um, I want to uh, eliminate more debt and uh, increase my uh, increase my investments. Um, you know, these are things that my wife and I are have been actively looking into for some time, and I would say that's you know uh, part of our bigger plan for the future. Yeah, no bullshit. Especially one enduring what the economy may be dealing with, and you know, we, we try to be futurists about no doubt, you know, no about doubt. our uh, about our empowerment. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting. Well, for me, to be honest with you, I'm on the same boat. Um, I'm going to stockpile some uh, some weaponry and make sure that all my investments are stacked in, and that we have stashes of those greenbacks underneath our pillow and bed and all that other stuff as we need to have it. Um, I think that the question begs to be asked that why are we so i don't want to say fearful but why are we so concerned at this point that even after everything this dude has been doing especially like as of late the most recent i guess egregious thing that he's done is his handling of this covid 19 situation why are we still so concerned that it's not just a slam dunk for the democrats to out to put him out of uh put him out of office I, I don't know if that's a testament to how crazy the world or America has gotten within the past couple of years, or if it's just the weakness of the Democratic Party or a combination of the two. But I think it's very fascinating that we're this concerned, given the litany and the list of things that he's done, that under any other president, you would have been like, yeah, that shit killed his presidency right there. But I think the, the thing is, that list that you mentioned, it only affects a small population of America. It's a whole lot of folk that that list is a pro-Trump type of endorsement. There's things that they ride with that they're excited about. It's only, you know, <laughs> a small population who really are not feeling dude. His numbers still, with yeah. all of this that this dude is doing. Yeah. That's the main, that's the main, that's the main favorable, concern. favorable, bro. That's the, that's the main concern. That the, 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 his base is unshakable. But bro. that's more than just base, my guy. They were talking about the numbers earlier today on uh, CNN, and I know some folks don't like CNN for many reasons. But Man, that shit was disturbing. Go ahead. They were talking about how many people actually approve of the job that he's doing. Right now. Right now. Even though you have record of him in January saying that this was a hoax, that this wasn't real, it wasn't coming over here. Like, matter of fact, it was two weeks ago that he was talking all that nonsense saying that this wasn't a big issue. Yeah. You know, these these people still think they're getting a piece. Piece of the action. It's, but it's forty five percent of people are still cool with this dude and said he's handling this correctly. They still think How can you say you're handling something correctly after you you just realized it was a problem last week after almost five thousand people died? Like that doesn't make any sense. 
motherfucker. Listen, man. And that's why I don't believe he's going anywhere, bro. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I know we're not trying to go down that path and have this discussion right now because it's already depressing as hell out there. But have you seen Joe Biden, bro? I know. My guy, the other day, I think he did an interview with uh, Anderson Cooper, and it looked like his brain was melting on TV. Like Anderson asked him some question and he went on like a two or three minute tangent that had, it, I don't even want to say it didn't have anything to do with what Anderson asked him, but it seemed like he was talking to himself about his grocery list. Like that's how ridiculous the answer was. And then Anderson stopped and looked and was like, hmm. are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is who we were putting up against <laughs> Trump. And not yeah. that Trump is the, you know, the brightest crayon in the box or whatever, but at the you same don't have time, to be. Yeah. I, that's, I'm saying, and he, he knows how to manipulate people, man. He's been doing this his entire life. That's what his, his business, his businesses are based off of. Shit, if it's been working, ain't no need to change that shit now. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, to answer your question, Trent, it's all about the money, <laughs> making sure that we're stacking up and making sure that we have the... I know it sounds very pessimistic pessimistic and very dark, but I'm really anticipating some sort of, I don't want to say racial war, but some sort of upheaval. And I've never really been one of those Alex Jones type dudes. You mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean actual civil unrest? I think that there's going to be, there's going to be more than just a women's march if this dude gets reelected, if you get what I'm saying. I don't agree. You do not? Nope. What do you think is going to happen? I think if he gets real, you think like people are just going to lay back and just going to take I it? I think they're just going to take it. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Why? Why do, you, why, why do you feel? Do you think it's because of Democrats or people, liberals? <clears throat> uh, what do you want to call it? Or I think it's a combination of all those things. And I also think that we've been conditioned to not hit the streets, not to be in that sort of mentality. And because the question begs, why wait until this motherfucker is reelected? Why wait until he's reelected for us to hit the streets to cause upheaval? He's already demonstrated a, a complete inept ability to be a leadership, particularly with the way he's handling the coronavirus, COVID-19. He is directly responsible for the loss of lives, American lives, with the way he's handled this crisis. Ain't nobody hitting the streets over that. I don't see it, man. That's I don't. I, I wish because I would be out there, but I don't. I don't see it. And uh, man, I think part of this dilemma, and this just goes to show the influence that he has not just on his base, but on quote unquote, common sense people. That he could say something, a week will go by, maybe more than that, and they'll forget that he ever said the foolishness that he said the previous week. As though none of that matters, none of that exists, and it just boggles my mind because we've watched over the course of our adult lives, other politicians that seems seemed as though correct me if I'm wrong, but have seemed as though they've been held to account for the things that they've said or the things that they've done. Mind you, I know that America has a short-term memory, but some of these things have always come back to bite them. Look at John Kerry, for example. But now you look at him and it seems like he's Teflon. And I don't understand what makes, like what is, what's so different about him than all the 44, 44, 43 yeah, other white dudes that have been in office before him. 
I don't get it. But hey, that's 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 just me. Oh, anyway, Trent, thank you so much for your uh, for your message, man. We really appreciate it. Shout out and, to the homie Trent. Appreciate it. Yeah, that, no doubt. And if you want to get your emails <clears throat> and comments shared on the show, you can message us on our Facebook page, or you can send us an email to in the black podcast at gmail.com. And by the way, for all of you guys, you wonderful listeners that are sending us in these messages, our thank you to you will be some In The Black podcast merchandise, some swag of some sort, maybe a t-shirt, coffee mug, whatever. We're trying to NPR it up for you guys and make sure that you not only appreciate the show, your appreciation for the show, but you can show others your appreciation for the show. So, uh, Crush, why don't you go ahead and pick it up, man? Excuse me. All right, well, let's switch things into a slightly lighter note. Um, it has been recently announced, and I did verify this is this was not an April Fool's joke. But, <laughs> oh, God. And the NBA is launching a players-only NBA 2K tournament. Oh, uh, and uh, it's been uh, and this is coming up actually uh, tomorrow. Hold up, hold up. Hold up, hold up, hold up, rewind. What'd you say, Nick? What'd you say? You said a, a, a players-only players only NBA tournament <laughs> starting tomorrow, Friday. Uh, the on tournament features several big names like DeMarcus Cousins, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, and supposedly lasts about 10 days. Uh, yeah, so... Um, Is this going to be publicized? Know, Are people going to be able to watch this shit? It's going to be on ESPN starting on Friday. Get the... F- what? Tomorrow. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I mean, granted, I know some pretty nasty dudes, you know, on 2K, you know, but... I don't know. I mean, I heard rumors about this maybe about two weeks ago, but uh, about uh, them doing um, uh, Madden on the on the network oh, and everything. But um, but this, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, mind you, I'm not the sports head here in the room, so I want the sports head to speak to this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Go ahead, L. I mean, I know some geeks that would love to watch I'm that. I'm starting you know? to hate ESPN more and more every damn day. <laughs> I swear, bro. If it ain't Stephen A's hairline, are they, are, 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 are they, are they reaching noon. here? Are they reaching here? Bruh. Reaching? <laughs> bro, this is desperation at the highest level. Wow. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's back uh, up real quick. Here he goes on the fence. Let me ask the question, my guy. Let me ask the question. Do you think that they're in some capacity justified, given the, given that these are unprecedented yes. times? Yes, right. That's fair. Okay. Absolutely fair. They, they got to feel content with something they, they, we can't they deserve taking all they, they, that they, they, stuff they, all day. They deserve some leeway for this, see. huh? They deserve, you, think, you think they deserve some leeway for this, considering the circumstances? Not on I'm, the main channel. That's foolishness. They should have put, <laughs> they they put this joint on the Ocho or whatever that joint is called. This should have been on ESPN News. You don't put this joint on the main channel. ESPN News a fool for watching it. Get the hell out of here. And you know what's funny is that they thought because like Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins and some others like, yeah, we're going to watch this joint. But you know what the you worst part about this? Folks are going to tune in to this. People are going to watch this shit. They're gonna watch. They're gonna watch. They're gonna watch. Don't, watch. don't say that, man. And, and, and because they watch, and they, they're, gonna they're, gonna they're gonna keep doing it. They're gonna keep doing it. They're gonna tune. They're gonna keep doing this, bro. And they're gonna keep doing it. Watch. I'm they're telling you, people it. are gonna watch. That to me, as someone who used to be a gamer, the worst thing in the world for me was to sit back and watch other people play a motherfucking game, bro. Why? It was no. I, I hated it. 
because I was always sideline coaching. Like, yo, the pressure for me was too much. I would leave the room and come back and like, yo, it's my turn yet? I got next. Don't so, <laughs> that's, you see, you, you know what you're doing. You're showing your age. Because you know there's a whole marketing industry yeah. out there just watching I, I, other yeah. people play. I, yeah, Twitch, oh Twitch, Twitch is a thing, man. I'm surprised Twitch isn't sponsoring this shit. Yeah, that's dope. Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, it is Mountain Dew or Ciroc or what an <laughs> probably Hennessy, Black and Miles, or some shit like that. A sponsor. <laughs> oh my god! Why are you? Why are you like this, man? Like, answer that. Why are you like this? So I'm wait, 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 wait. Some sports heads. Are y'all gonna yeah. take this out tomorrow? Yeah. Watch. Now nah, I'm good. No, nope. I'll, I'll watch the highlights on YouTube. Right the highlights, the highlights. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm on Twitter and LeBron is talking about how he was going to go on live on one of these platforms and talk about his greatest shots and his greatest games. And this tweet had thousands and thousands of people supporting it said, yes, yes, And I'm like, you want this dude to sit down and just talk about what he's done in games? You are that desperate? If you don't read a damn book? <laughs> yo, that's mother yo, that's bored. Yo, LeBron sounds bored with that idea. I think that all of these dudes are, I mean, you know, the antsy yeah. because it, yo, it cuts them right in the three, middle of the season. We're creeping into week four. I know. This is a, a, I, I, you are I a millionaire, millionaire. Though, you have everything. I look, feel bad for no. Look, my dude, he's stuck in the house. Why you stuck in the house? I'm telling you, cats about to start getting weird. Cats about to get weird. Cats about to start getting weird. Watch. Man, don't do that, man. Cats all start getting weird. My week four. Watch. Cats all start getting weird. You got food. You got people who will go to the. Where? Listen, you on vacation. That would be I, listen, my guy. It's, bro, it's, it's funny because With your kids just, for four weeks. Yes. Listen, my guy. I was telling my wife have a whole other house they can go to. <laughs> Man, that does not stop a kid from asking for food. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to my wife early in the day, man, and she was, she's usually, I won't say she's a homebody, but she's in the house more than not, right? And then today she just had that this sounds like itch. a homebody, but I'm gonna like, let you say it, not you, me. See, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying, baby, I, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Eldon's trying to make me say it. I didn't say it. You said it. None. So she all of a sudden got the itch to like go outside, and I'm like, what are you going outside for? Like, you know, you know the cooties is outside, right? Like, what you doing? Going outside? <laughs> the cooties. You're trying to get the cooties. The cooties. And she's like, I don't know. I just, I just gotta go outside. I said, listen, this whole time ain't nobody put no restrictions on you not to go outside. <laughs> not put restrictions on you, and you gotta run outside. <laughs> Set your ass in the house. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I said, now you you passing this energy onto our kids because they want to go do something. Like, no, you can't go outside, man. The Rona is outside. Don't <laughs> we don't try to deal with that bullshit, man? Goddamn. Understand it's it, ridiculous, man. And I'm 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 gonna be a little bit personal right now, man. It's like two people that I know that we met in Ghana, matter of fact, uh, have one passed away from the Rona and another one is actually in the hospital fighting for her life right now yeah. for from the same wow. shit. Wow. So this thing is real, man. We still got people out here in these streets talking that nonsense like it's just a flu. I it's, hate them. It's, it's this, it's that. And our president was one of them maybe about a week and some change ago. They talking that stuff. We were talking about the numbers the other day on, 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 um, on social media. We were saying that the seasonal flu kills about 10,000 people, about 10,000 people per 
per year per season, and that's over the span. I was span gonna say of, per season. How long's the season? The season is about three, important. three, three yep. to six months. Yep. That's very important. Yes, three to six months, depending on how you live. Now, well, yep. three to six months. I'll put it that way. Kills about ten thousand people. Twenty thousand is the maximum when you see that there's like yes. some new strain or something like that that they haven't seen before, and so on. But mind you, there are antibiotics. There's treatment. There's a cure for that. There's a flu shot. There's a Go flu ahead. shot that you yep. get seasonally, right? Yes. This thing has killed 5,000 plus, almost 6,000 people within the span of three weeks. Three weeks. For you idiots out there who are comparing this to the flu, pay attention. Six months, three weeks. And they're six anticipating months, how many people? Three weeks. No, no not just six months, throughout the entire year. Year. Yeah, throughout Sorry. the entire year. Throughout well, one year. Yes. Yeah. That many and people. Three weeks. Yep. Three and your weeks, boy, Fauci came Less than a month. Fauci and the other lady were on TV the other day. I always forget. Elizabeth Bricks, I think, is her name. I think. I and they so, said that we're anticipating 200,000 plus people being being killed from this thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are making the argument that it could have been less if we had made the proper responses. When we I think that's fair. Yeah. Based off of what I've read, I think that's fair. Yeah. It's scary. It is. Uh, it is scary beyond words, bro. And I'm telling you, when they're talking about not having enough supplies, enough PPEs, enough this, that is a hundred percent correct. It You're seeing is it for not enough, bro. I work in medical supply. I'm that shit makes Trump you, so bro, mad. It is not. That shit makes Trump so mad. People say that, bro. It, it makes him so pissed. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm. Nobody I know we took it off it. on a tangent, but I'm going to ask you guys this real quick question, man. Are you guys having any difficulty, not not convincing, but getting people to listen to you in your family specifically? getting people to listen and stay their ass in the house. Nope, not my family. I mean, both, family, both pairs of, both sets of grandparents on my end don't want to listen to shit. Nope. But. I mean, my, you know, my, uh, my, my parents are, are pretty advanced in age, so they're not in the mood to go anywhere. It seems like my dad's listening, but my, my sister's telling me something different. Hmm. So I gotta, you know, I gotta confirm some things, but um, so far it seems like everyone on my side is taking it seriously. Well, I pray for all of you guys' families, man, because like I said, man, hearing some of the news that we've recently gotten a hold of, it, yeah. it really hits me in the pit of my stomach, man. And I would yeah. hate for anybody to have to face this. And you know what? The worst part about the, something that's not really being spoken about, people that contract this virus are dying alone. They're being excluded from their family. God forbid that their family doesn't have, yep. that God forbid, or we'll say, Hopefully their family yes. does not have also does not have the virus. Yeah. So they exclude you from your family. They isolate you from their family to try and do these treatments. And the only people you are seeing are doctors and nurses for the how for however long you are going through treatment. And God forbid that you die. You, people are dying alone every single day. Anyway, all right. Let's let's um, let's keep well, well, I, I do want to throw out one last small note on the story. What's up? They, they actually did put out a bracket. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I had to put that in. No, I, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll, we'll share that on our Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, please, yeah, please do. I would love to see what people think of the UK bracket on the ESPN. On our social media. Hey, man, don't tag me right. in that shit either. You, you know what? You want that shit firsthand. Shut the <laughs> <laughs> He's going to text you and ask you for the break. <laughs> Once we get off, he's going to ask you for the break. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be joined once again by Carrie Connolly, author of Good White Racist. Um, 
Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. <laughs> Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Don Teasy, man. And it's your girl, Keisha Morena. And we're the host of the Baked Beans and Rice podcast. Baked Beans and Rice is what happens when an Afro-Panamanian girl from New York runs into a Southern fried country boy from Mississippi. Check us out every Thursday as we explore current events and topics related to the culture, such as how to play spades, what it means to be culturally Christian, and code switching. You can catch us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, just to name a few. All right, we'll see y'all next Thursday. All right, and welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. In the previous segment, we talked about what our mental health and financial health should look like just in case Donald Trump gets reelected. We talked about the NBA holding a players-only NBA 2K (laughs) tournament tomorrow to fill in for the NBA season. (laughs) But right now, we are joined by the incredible Kerry Connolly, author and life coach, author of the book, Good white racist. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. That's, uh, that's, quite, a, that's quite a title. Um, yes. For those folks that are not familiar with you, uh, Ms. Connolly, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I am a white woman and I am the author of Good White Racist. I'm, I'm a blogger, a writer, I'm in seminary. And um, this book, um, has really been a labor of love that was conceived in in seminary for me after mm. hearing learning from womanist theologians and uh they they really changed my life so interesting so my well before we continue uh you are breaking the mold here on the in the black podcast it is april 2nd it's not april fool's day april 2nd <laughs> And you are our first white guest on the show. So let's give her, let's give her a round of applause. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you for allowing me into this space. I know it sounds so terrible, but it's true. No, it does not. No, it's not. You're always unwelcome, man. Yes, you're all, you are always, don't, don't feel like you're not welcome. We talk white people all the time. So it's It's all good. It's all good. I get it. No, no, no. So my first question to you is, what, what gripped you? to write a book and entitle it Good White Racist in the first place. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting. I I just, I had this epiphany when I listened to Ruby Sales. This is what, what really happened was I listened to an episode of Ruby Sales on, on being, and she started talking. She made a comment on there that she said, it's, you know, I, I know that we have a black liberating theology, but where is the white liberating theology? And that just got me thinking about what does it mean to be white and to be imprisoned by the sole disfigurement of, mm-hmm. of pseudo supremacy and who's going to change that if not white people, only white people can change that. And as I started talking about it with other white people, I noticed that the two things that white people that seem to get in our way and myself included, I include myself mm-hmm. in this as well. The thing that gets in our way is our own comfort. We want to be comfortable. We hate talking about race. It makes us hella uncomfortable. And so we love to preserve our own comfort. And we also love to defend the perception of our own goodness, right? And most of most white people, not all, by no means, but most of us really do want to be good and we really do hate the idea of racism and have no idea and are unwilling to be uncomfortable enough to 
to actually do the work to understand how racism and pseudo supremacy has been embedded in our brains. And so we deny, we defend, and we practice all sorts of machinations to uh, avoid doing that work. And so that's kind of what made me want to write this book because I know that good people people who want to be good, people who don't want to be racist, truly don't want to be racist, still do racist things and still perpetuate racism. And that's why I wrote the book. I'm going to assume that given what you've described about the discomfort that comes with white people having this conversation, that there were a lot of people that were uncomfortable with you trying to have this conversation. Is that fair to assume? Oh yes, definitely, definitely. And you know, it's it's interesting. A lot of times, especially on social media, I'll get into, we'll call them conversations <laughs> with people <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on social media. And a lot of other people will say, why are you doing this? You're never gonna change their mind. Hmm. And I say, because of the people who are watching. You know, there are, mm -hmm so many people who have not only um not only people of color i think it's really important for people of color to see white people telling other talking to other white people about this i think that's important because it's our labor it's our job to do this right but also there are other white people who want to have these conversations and they don't have the language they don't know what to say and that's another reason that i wrote the book because I know that so many people would come to me and they would say, I, I, I get into these conversations with people and I get so frustrated and I don't know what to say. And mm -hmm. so a, a lot of me writing this book was about giving people the lexicon and the language um, to be able to have those conversations around their own Thanksgiving tables. Hmm. Hmm. Go ahead, Elle. I know you got a bunch of questions to ask. Yeah, I have a, a ton of for questions, uh, Kara. Uh, first, let me say this. I stumbled across you. Uh, I'm in the midst of, uh, I guess the popular term would be deconstructing. Uh, I like to call it decentering whiteness in my faith. Uh, and so I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts and I happened to stumble upon a podcast where you were on there uh, with Mason, I believe. And yeah. uh, hearing you talk about this book, it immediately led me right to my calendar because this was before the book came out so i put it on the calendar to make sure i bought the book right away now honestly i went into the book uh with a ton of reservations uh a ton of is this going to be the same old typical white bullshit that i hear when it comes to that fluff talk yeah you read about that <laughs> uh because when you were talking there were certain words that i tend to list looking for when i'm hearing white people talk about racism uh one of my pet peeves uh is people of color mm. and it drives me as a black man and i'm it, sean is laughing <laughs> I'm because notes. he's because i know because i know he <laughs> i know talk about this all the time uh and i i think it comes from a genuinely uh positive intention Mm -hmm. But for many black people, it's a sign of erasure or dilution. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, It's including us in the same category with other people. Now, I understand it's a simplified way of including people and not a negative intention. But mm -hmm. for me, I bristle at people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I'm reading your book, clearly this book is not written specifically for black people mm -mm. or people of color. It is clearly 
written for white people. Yes. Uh, my question for you would be, why should black people trust this book? That's a brilliant question. And I appreciate you asking it. And you probably shouldn't. <laughs> you probably um, should really here, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't want black people to buy the book. I, I, I feel like, and I, my publisher would hate me for me to say that, but it, it's, you don't need to spend the money on it. You know everything that's in the book already, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, I want white people to buy the book. I would love for black people to tell white people, hey, go buy this book, right? Um, however, if you're going to, and if you're going to read it, um, I hope that you will read it and that you will probe it and that you will question it and that you will make sure that it's right. You know, one thing, another thing that I have tried to learn from my, my friends who are mm -hmm. black is that um, if, when we're in a, a space that has both white and black people in it, if all sure. the white people in the room are comfortable, probably the black people are not. Right. Yes. And that was also something that I had in my head as I was writing this book. I needed to be bold and I needed to speak um, the truth as I have learned it from my black friends. Um, and so I hope that when if and when black people do read this book, that they will um, hear my heart and know that I am willing to learn. So if there's a mistake that I've made in the book, such as using, pe using people of color, for example, and you're right, it's a book for white people. And one of, the, one of the things that I hear from my Korean friends, for example, is, hey, I'm not, I'm not Asian, I'm Korean, yes. and yes. my issues are different from black people's issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so as white people, how are we trying to... Um, how do I address it all, right? How do I do that work well? Um, and you just taught me something. So I, I appreciate I appreciate you teaching me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that I will say to that is also something that I learned from Ruby Sales, which is that, and I actually got, I, I heard her on that podcast and then I actually literally mm -hmm. got to sit yeah. at her feet at the Revolutionary Love Conference. And, uh, had her look me in the eye and tell me that white supremacy is soul murder for white people because mm. we have been flattened and homogenized. Mm -hmm. You know, I have lost my heritage, my Irish heritage, and I've had to go searching for it because, because my Irish ancestors who came here not so many generations ago sure. did everything they could to assimilate, you know? Yeah. White people, Europeans, did the same thing to Black people when we enslaved them, right? Yes. When, when one of the one of the ways that you conquer a people is to remove their identity. So, mm -hmm. so they were flattened and homogenized um, when we brought those people over as slaves. We removed their tribal identities, their national identities, their family identities. So this is something, one of the evils that race, the construct of race, and sure. it, it perpetuates on all of us. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. it makes perfect sense. Yes. Crush. <clears throat> oh, yes. I mean, uh, based on what you uh, just said, it, it did imply uh, perhaps the, the acknowledgement of the idea of whiteness as a construct in and of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree to, certain, um, to a certain extent? 
I'm sorry, that whiteness was, is a construct? Yeah, that, that was put upon oh. Irish people, for oh, example? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, and we, we, we benefited from it, right? We, and, but, and this is what's interesting about the history of whiteness is that it's contextual. When you actually study it, you know, using Irish people as an example, mostly because my biggest pet peeve is when white people say, well, the Irish were slaves too. Well, no, <laughs> no, we weren't. Uh, let's just clear that up um, <laughs> once and for all. But when there, it's, it's very true that when the Irish came over here, they could go into, they could walk past one restaurant that would not let them in and say, you know, whites only, no Irish allowed, and then go into another restaurant where they were totally white enough and they could turn around and let or, and, and not let a Greek person in or an Italian sure. person in for sure. not being white enough, right? So race is a construct, it's, a, it's contextual, but there comes a point in time when some people are able to just become white, capital mm -hmm. W, white. And mm -hmm. then, and, and at this point in time, my Irish heritage only matters if I'm speaking honestly, only has ever mattered when I'm speaking to somebody from France, quite frankly, like literally. <laughs> wow, interesting, interesting. Yes. My question for you is, in the context that we've been discussing now about, I guess, the relationship between religion and whiteness, right? Mm. It's big. What is up with your white? What is up with your white Christian friends? That's that's that's, that's my main question. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I, I asked the question. I asked the question because you look at. Let's take the 2016 election for example. Mm -hmm. The largest group of supporters for Donald Trump. Mm. Or evangelical white evangelical Christians, uh, followed closely by I think in terms of just sheer numbers, followed by white men. Now you could make the argument that a lot of people followed or supported Donald Trump. Those people specifically followed Donald Trump because of his policies. But mm -hmm. a lot of the polling data shows that it was because of a fear of change, mm. cultural change in America. Mm -hmm. How do you gauge? And I don't want to tokenize you in this sense, okay? No, so please yeah. forgive me. No, it's but fine. how do you gauge your whiteness and your Christianity? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if you if you if you're going to be a good Christian, I don't think that that fear or discomfort should supersede your efforts to be good fishers of men and to do right to your brother and sister, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. Such it's so good. So I think for, for me personally, right, I, I, I honestly can't tell you what's going on in their heads, right? And especially it's white evangelical Christian women, mm. it's even more mind boggling, because we could talk about the whole woman thing and Donald Trump, like right. that's a whole other yeah. thing, right? But what's, uh, for me personally, I have had to, I have been in the midst of deconstruction for quite some time. Mm. And I have had to separate the, experience of of jesus and my faith as a sure. as a christ follower mm -hmm. from the institution of christianity which in yeah. my opinion has become um disgusting <laughs> like sure. i i feel like there needs to be a now i have hope for the institution of christianity because of what i see so i come out of the evangelical uh movement however what i can also tell you we just don't get enough press but there is a large progressive christian 
movement that is made up mostly of white people, but we're white people who mm -hmm. understand that we don't get it and do we want to really do exist? better. Like for real, like there's a bunch I of guys. I swear, there's a whole organization in everything. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. Yes. Okay. The problem is we're notoriously bad at self-organizing, right? So we we're really and and nobody's talking about us. But there's actually a guy, Doug Paget, who is going around on a bus. Well, he may be home now, but he's talking a, a, a bus called Vote Common Good. And they are progressive Christians who are going around talking to Trump supporters to try to help them understand, you know, what's really going on. There's an organization called the With Collective that is here to help plant progressive churches that care about social justice. And even in mainline churches, there are my pastor at my current church has been arrested um, for protesting at senators' uh, offices for DACA. You know, so hmm. so. There are Christians that are doing this. This particular group has been so aligned that, that you're speaking of, I think, has been so aligned or has aligned itself with capitalism um, to such a degree. And capitalism and racism are bedfellows, right? Mm -hmm. that, that we cannot, they cannot, um, they have been gaslit lit into thinking that change is uh that that the the browning of america as they call it right, right is dangerous and this goes back to this the whole idea of the savage construct and the the, the right. idea that we have to be afraid of radical difference go ahead you know I, I, i'm reading the book uh i'm loving it I particularly love the action items. I think the action items is brilliant. Uh, at the end of each chapter, she has a number of action items, uh, learn, think, act, where she's instructing and teaching other whites how to maneuver <laughs> through the subject that she's talked about in each chapter. I love that. I think it's brilliant. I wish more people would do such things that way. I love that it's witty. It's very personable. It's very easy to read. It doesn't come across as uh, unnatural. I, I really love that component of the book because I've read a number of white folks writing books talking about racism and it's always a particular part that they get to that I can almost predict that they're going to get to it. They do one of two things. They either go the moral suasion route uh, where they try to morally convict and you know convince whites of their racism or they do the education route mm. that racism is a lack of education that white people just don't know that they're racist. Uh, and that part drives me absolutely up the wall. Uh, and here's why. I believe the same way black folks give the talk to their children about racism. I believe white people do that same thing in one of two ways, because we understand communication is verbal and can be nonverbal. Mm -hmm. One of the stories you mentioned in the book is where your mother is uh, dealing with a situation, she's babysitting a young boy, and the young boy is verbally attacked by an older white male, and she's silent on the issue. And that was just like, how can someone say they are ignorant of this when they are intentionally acting upon in a racist manner? Yeah. Uh, because in her silence, 
which you even acknowledge, mm-hmm. that was a racist act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just want to get your thoughts on the education cut because it seems like you were headed towards that part of the book where you wanted to really educate white people on their racism as if they're ignorant of it. Mm. <laughs> good, yeah, good question. So what I, the, here's one of the things that is true that I have learned um, is that for a good portion of our lives, I don't think, I don't think, I think you're right. I think that white people have, we have to work really hard to pretend to not be racist, sure. right? We have to work really, really hard at that. Um, however, that it's, it's powerful because our whiteness has, is by design is invisible to us, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we work hard every day. So because we never experience the kinds of both microaggressions and the blatant acts sure. of racism sure. and injustice that black people and other, other um, marginalized groups experience, we think it can't possibly happen or it mm, can't possibly right. be that bad. Mm. And the one of the reasons that we don't want to talk about about race is because it points to our own whiteness, right? Sure. In our in our brains, we think we might be talking about blackness or mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. somebody's uh, Asian background or somebody's uh, Latina Latino background, but in actuality, we're talking about whiteness. It's kind of the elephant in the room. Mm. Now, I will say, and this was this is really fascinating, and I almost hesitate to bring it up because it's not my original thought, and I can't remember whose it was, but it was in a class that uh, on the eth- theological ethics of Martin Luther King that I, uh, junior, that I, I heard this in. And that is that since the, before the civil rights movement, we were fine talking about race. Black and white was all over because we had black fountains and white fountains, black clean, bathrooms. So, so yeah. everybody, it, yeah, was, it was right out there, dry, right? right? Yep. But after the civil rights movement, what a lot of good white racists did or learned was that we shouldn't talk about race, right? Because if we're talking about race, it's just like talking about the black, it's just like making a black fountain and a white fountain, right? It's just like that. And so the concept of of talking about race blatantly went underground. And that's where you get white people saying, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see race, right? Because they think that not seeing race is better than pointing out and acknowledging, hey, you are a black man, I am yeah. a white woman. Yeah. That yeah. comes with a whole lot of baggage. We can still be in relationship with each other, but we're probably gonna have to work through some shit in order to, yeah. to get to a that point. Sure. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So I think that, um, that white people have been trained and it's also been proven that systems of dominance become more oh, yes. uh, insidious the more they're mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. out, right? So mm-hmm. as soon as we pass a law that makes a system of dominance illegal, then it goes underground and becomes that much more powerful because mm-hmm. it's no longer... Yeah, there's no checks and balances. It's socially acceptable, yeah. Yeah. Right. quote unquote. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you talk to your, to your white sisters? Um, and I say that specifically because over the past few years now, it's any social media platform you go on, you're going mm. to see videos of barbecue Beckys and permit patties and all of these oh, folks. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and I'm, I'm at, no, no, I, I don't want you to apologize for what no, you do. No, I feel like I, I apologize. <laughs> I want to understand why. I want to understand how you think your book 
can help to affect women like like yeah. that yeah so i think well let's be real barbecue becky i'm not i think she's just practicing blatant straight up racism and i think she's fine with it agreed right yeah. you would have I agreed mean, with that either way yeah i mean yeah i think i was just i was on your instagram feed I was checking it out and there was one about the the UPS guy. He was yeah. like, what the, what? Yeah. mind boggling, right? I mean, that's just blatant. I, I, um, I'm not, okay. I want to, I want to hope for them because I'm, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> Such a nice I don't, person. I don't know. I know. I don't know if I got it. I don't, I don't have no hope. For <laughs> so I got, yeah. But what I do have hope for, who I have hope for are um, the people who truly do think that when they say I'm colorblind, they really are thinking that that's the right thing and just don't understand, right? Mm. Um, and I have had fights. I've had plenty of people who have unfriended me on Facebook. I have had, um, I have insulted a lot of people. I've made a lot of people uncomfortable and I'm okay with that. Like I'm totally fine with that. I think it's really funny. And I tell this story in the book too. I think it's really funny when people like know who I am and then they come on to my Facebook page and they poke the beast and they think they're going to get a different answer. Like from what I'm, <laughs> what, I'm always right, right, <laughs> like, right. what makes you think I'm going to be any different now? You know, and, and that's kind of what I, I, what I've noticed, I, I say in the book that I've noticed this very specific pattern. And so I kind of, of how people will respond. And so I kind of say, okay, this is what, what's going to come, come at me next. Now I will say this. I try to work really hard not to attack the actual person, but to attack, attack the idea that they're, or, or the behavior or the things that they are saying and not the actual person. Right. So I might not call um, a person racist to their face, I will say that was a racist thing to say, right? Mm, mm. Because, because so many of us um, really do care and really don't want to be racist and really don't realize that saying that something, saying something like I'm colorblind is a racist thing to say. Mm. And so I want to honor the, the part of that person that, and, and, listen, the only reason that I do it this way is because I had to do this for myself, right? I had to honor sure, in myself true. this part of me that was like, I don't want to, to be like this. This is not who I want to be in the world. And yet, shit, it's But Carrie, let me, let me ask you this before we pass it to Crush. Yeah. Why do you think white people don't want to be racist? You mentioned that a number of times that you feel like they don't want to be. And for me, it's almost like if you're aware they have benefit to be, I mean, the power exactly. Yeah, they're, 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 so why even change if I'm in a power position? What reason do I have? Because my religion mm -hmm. backs up my power play. Mm -hmm. uh, patriarchy backs up my power play. Capitalism mm -hmm. backs up. What reason do you have that yeah, makes you feel to add, people to, to, add to what Elle is saying I mean especially for white women I mean the proximity to, to patriarchy and to white power structure I mean you yeah. fight for women's rights but mm -hmm. you're not really I'm, I'm gonna let you answer your question I'm sorry my no bad. we got a lot of power I yeah like we we are I, I and I am one step away from the top of the privilege heap you know like yes. what yeah, as a white middle class. She knows that, Elle. You didn't have to confirm it. Like, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For the listeners. So, 
I think that it's, it's a paradox. I think people, it's not an if end in most cases, right? Like I'm not talking about neo-Nazis, right? That's not who I'm, I'm not talking about that. And even Barbecue Becky, I think she's so deeply ingrained in, in it. She, She doesn't care. Like she gets off on that, whatever. But I think most of us are, are, I think all human beings are paradoxes, right? We hold within our, our beings um, a desire to, to do good and, and, and we can recognize humanity, uh, our own and somebody else's, and yet we also are motivated by fear. And I think that the fear comes from, and this is why um, I am a white person in anti, anti-racist spaces. And I receive a lot of criticism for that from, from, of course you do. Yeah, yeah, from black people and from yes. white people. Well, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And, and the reason that I am in this space, I can't speak about blackness, but I can speak about whiteness. And my, I believe that white people have suffered a failure of imagination to, to imagine a different way for us to be. We don't know what, what it's, what we could be without the construct of pseudo supremacy. Mm. And so that was part of the reason why I wanted to, to start this. And I will probably try to um, pursue a PhD in this work because I want to start us imagining a different way to be. And right now, like Andre Henry, who, if you don't follow him on Facebook, you should totally follow him. Um, But he says, you know, he questions whether white people can really do that because isn't it self-annihilation? And Uh, I say, yeah, 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 I don't believe it's possible to be honest with you. Well, that's where my faith comes in. That's where I say, and it's a huge leap of faith and I'm not always good at it. And I think it's not only a huge leap of faith, I think it's also part of your whiteness too look for hope in your whiteness if that Probably. makes sense you absolutely. know what i'm saying I'm it's saying? a privilege it's a yeah, privilege, absolutely. It's a privilege totally. to say that yes. i have hope in white yes. people changing i don't have that privilege and that doesn't and i think the one beautiful thing about this is that you are in anti-racist work so having a conversation with black people where they're blatantly saying hey listen i don't trust you and here's the reason why there's not oh my god there's no big blowback here hmm. but for people who hear me on a daily basis have these conversations publicly Mm -hmm. saying listen i don't trust white people and here are the reasons why Mm -hmm. define what a white ally is oh that's not a white ally that's just some white person cheerleading behind me Mm -hmm. not putting up any time talent or resources to support my efforts it's it's like i don't have the privilege to be open accepting of a white woman who wrote a book called good white racist i get it and and you know the truth is is that i'm i i appreciate you saying that and i don't even ask that of you like I've i know kind of, that's the yeah, beautiful thing about yeah. it yeah like <laughs> i've i've kind of learned that like i it's cool it's totally cool if if black people are like mm, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, let me prove it to you. It's okay. Right, right, right. It's okay. And you know, the other thing too is that that this is, because this is white work. It's it's our work that we have to do to change ourselves. We don't, and I'm not saying I, we don't need your um, you to say to us that it's okay for us to do this work. It's just work we should be doing, right? Like, so, so in other words, it's okay that you, you're just going to stay in your own lane and I'm going to be over here doing my work and help, hoping that my white 
siblings are going to come along with me, right? God bless you. Um, sure. Now, at the same time, <laughs> I also every I have to acknowledge that everything that I've learned about this topic, I've learned from from Black people and from my Korean friends and from my Latina friends, and so I always point people eventually point that. people yes. back. I do see to you do that. Yes. Them. Yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, we have to submit to Black leadership to learn about how we have done harm to Black people. Yeah, yeah. Crush, go ahead. I know you've been bubbling with a question. Go ahead. Oh, well, no, I mean, everyone's kind of addressed more or less. But I, I guess, you know, the idea of white people confronting the, the very construct of their uh, comfort of their whole existence mm -hmm. uh, seems like the mystery of the century. Um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I find it fascinating, almost from a scientific level. Mm. Um, <laughs> the idea, the idea of, of someone you know confronting the system that gives that gives them everything. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, that's all. That's all I had to say. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell. I'll. I'll. I have two two things that come to mind. One is so. I'm I'm part of this organization. It's a the progress, progressive Christian organization yes, I mentioned, and we've there was a story um, that came out of that that was really moving to me, and it was um, because we're we're really trying to, and it, this is where it gets really hard, and we struggle with it. We mm -hmm. we go home and our brains are like leaking out of our ears because we're trying to figure out how to do this. Because you hear a lot about like white people go, we say, well, we have to give up our platforms. Well, that still uh, that yeah. still assumes that we own the platform to begin yes. with, right? Yeah. Like so, that's yeah, a problem. This is true. This is true. So we're constantly always trying to kind of balance that that paradox of yeah, crap, we, we do kind of own the platform. We don't want to own the platform, so how are we going to use the platform to try and, help and do the right thing, right? Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. We, we really are trying to do that, and we've messed it up. We haven't always done it well, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're as, as an organization, I remember we were trying to do it well, and this was before I was involved, and we, we, there was the story of they were putting up speakers, and they had the, the, the white guy, right? And they had, and because we care about this, we were determined to not just put on yet another conference with a bunch of white guys talking at it. So we had a black woman and we had, you know, all a very diverse panel. And sure. what that meant was that there was no room for a lot of the white guys that normally talk at this thing. <laughs> and there was one of them wow. who really had this moment where he was like, you know what? I don't know what's next for me Wow! because this is my gig. This is what I do. And I care about this. I'm behind this. This is what it means to step aside. And, Ooh. and so white people needs, that's the hard, that's what our hard work is, is yeah. going, what, what am I if I can't do my thing because I'm stepping away. Right. So that was, that was a, a story that really, um, that really came to, to my mind. And then the other thing that I wanted to say is when I think about it, we're talking about, we do a lot of talking about individual, our relationship, yours and mine, sure. right? Sure. But then there's the systemic, and this is where I think a lot of white people lose hope, right? Because how can a white person who cares about this say, I don't know how to change the justice system. Like, I don't know how to change the education system. I'm one person, right? But when I think about, what I wrote in the book and what other people have written in their books and is that if we can get, if I can get one judge to awaken to the way bias and racism 
and supremacy is in operation, if I can get one judge who's sitting on a bench in power, then there may there are multiple lives that may be impacted differently. And that's if I get if we get enough white people having this conversation first inside our, ourselves and then in public, and some of those white people are holding positions of power like that in within the institutions that we need to burn down, then possibly there's hope. Absolutely, agreed. Agreed. Miss Connolly, thank yes. you so much for your time. We know yes. that uh, yes. your appearance on our show is going to further make you a pariah in the white community. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pariah. Right. I like that. <laughs> we hope that it's to the best benefit and that anybody that listens will actually gain something and benefit from it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you much. so much. Uh, before we close out, where can people find you, find your book, your social medias and all of that? Yeah, the, the best place to find all the things is on my website, which is kerryconnelly.com. So that's K-E-R-R-Y-C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. And uh, that, that you should be able to get to all the links, but I'm also on Instagram at kerry.connelly. Facebook is Jersey Girl Jesus. That's my blog. And then uh, Twitter is at She's Elevated. I obviously have a branding problem, so I'll be <laughs> <laughs> Most white people do. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no doubt. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you. Thank and you thank you, so you for much. inviting me into this sacred space. Oh, man. Not, not a, a problem time. at all. Not a problem yes, at all. Awesome now, right about now is the time when we'd like to give you little tidbits of news or words of wisdom that you can take with yourself into the week. So, uh, Crush, what's up, man? Uh, well, you know, I uh, hate to plug another another uh, platform, but I couldn't help it because they are acknowledging something I love to do, uh, which is sample. And uh, they have a new series called The Formula, which is uh, will be a limited video series on the science of sampling. And their first episode features Just Blaze as he unpacks what went into songs like Hovey Baby and, uh, and other songs he's done for Kendrick Lamar and Beyonce, for example. Uh, look for it because I will be, uh, you know, examining every single word. No doubt, no doubt. L, what's up, man? That's He's always bad. got I, so I, I, I have to take a deep breath. I really don't have anything tonight, man. Uh, oh, what? No, know, right? <laughs> no, no. It's I, that Rona. Shit. I thought, I thought he was going to again, dude. You know nope, how he does. Not going to do it tonight. Nope, <laughs> not going to do it. I, I, okay. I, I didn't make people mad enough already. I, I know. know right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Shit. All right, what's up for me tonight, man? It's Stefan Marbury gets, uh, he's with him and his Asian uh, partners, is set up a deal to bring over 10 million masks to New York amid this whole coronavirus uh, wow. crisis. So, He's putting his work in. He's a son of the city. It's good to see him reaching out and giving back oh. and taking the, making the best of his, uh, you know, of his connections and all of that, man. So shout out to Stefan Marbury awesome. for that, man. That is awesome. Yes, indeed. Wow. Uh, L, where can people find you if they'd like to find you, man? Uh, I'm at Elgin Bailey on everything, man. Uh, I don't have time for my OnlyFans anymore because <laughs> uh, even though I need to get back into it because oh, these hoes out here making some change, bro. This can't be This can't be This can't be new 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 contents. Everybody's stuck at home, my guy. Uh, listen, man. <laughs> no, but man, you can find me everywhere. Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, at Elgin Bailey, man. Feel free to hit me up. 
No doubt. Crush, where can people find you if they want to find you, man? Man, check me out on Instagram at the Orange Crush with a K or SB Methods or on Audio Mac at uh, Bridge 3000. No doubt, no doubt. And I am Big O, Mr. In the Black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at MR underscore in the black. And I want to thank Miss Conley, Carrie Conley, man, once again for being on the show. We really yeah. appreciate you taking she was the awesome. time out and being on the show. Wonderful. She had, she had to come back. Yeah, no doubt. No and doubt. I want to thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the In the Black podcast. You could have been any, well, Elle's already said you guys are stuck at home, nope. so you ain't having yeah, no choice. No <laughs> but remember, we want to hear from you. Help us continue these conversations by reaching us at our In the Black PDCST on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, informed, intelligent. intelligent. In, In the, the Black. black. Peace. Peace. This is, this is the In The Black Podcast. In The Black, bro. Hands down, one of the best podcasts I ever heard, though. I like y'all. what up? I read a black coffee, Bretchen. Listen, In The Black Podcast, like y'all lad, it's all facts. You don't like that, the fault fact. In The Black Podcast, don't talk trash. Switch fast if you ain't wrong, then you Intelligent elements always relevant Not for the weak and delicate This is eloquent excellence We are setting the precedence Resting in my excrement In the black podcast The truth like the testament Don't know Black up he bro Man a specialist Know what the podcast broadcast Y'all mess with this Like said they my cheat Who no dweed so effortless I listen them I learn When them listen them I benefit Reporting current event Everything that is prevalent This is so exquisite The scientific experiment Giving you the news Not views without evidence Telling you the truth sentiments without embellishments relax these are the facts bringing them to your residence in your house or your tenement listen to hear intelligence body filled with melody power that's so ascending bright in the stars bringing some light back to the desolate in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast they fucked up who looks like watch black up here chat me down in the black podcast that your land is all facts you don't like that the fuck back in the black podcast we all lost the one of them can none of them can control yes just like that this is.